You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what we've experienced already. Lord, how sweet it is to see people you've prayed for and to see them now follow you in believer's baptism. Thank you for that blessing this morning. Now, Lord, as we have a few minutes left, I pray that you give me wisdom and liberty and power and just guidance as we look at our text. Help me to say those things that would be pleasing to you. And may Christ be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 this morning. And um, the, the title of our message this morning is Family Dynamics. You'll see why in just a moment. But over the last several weeks, it's been two weeks now since I've been back in the pulpit, um, we have been in 1 John, and the whole idea of what we've just covered was this, that you can know that you know that you know him. We've called it blessed assurance, that you can be assured that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are secure, you are safe, you have been forgiven, and you know God in a personal and intimate way. And John gives us several tests. The first test that we came across was the moral test, which is simply this. If you love me, keep my commandments. And for the believer, certainly we are not perfect in these tests, but the trajectory of our life should be such that in my heart, my desire is, since Christ has come in, I long to please him. I hear his word, I'm convicted, and I long to do it. And as imperfect as that is, that's my goal. So that is the moral test. The second was the social test, and it's simply this. If you want to know that you know him, do you love brothers and sisters in Christ? And and that might sound easy at the first reading, but to love people that are nothing like you. A matter of fact, the only thing that you have in common is that you are in Christ, which is enough. It's enough. And if you're living a life where you don't love brothers and sisters in Christ, you can't stand that group or this group or I have nothing to do with those people, then I would submit to you on the basis of John's word, the scripture, you have no assurance of salvation. None. I don't care what prayer you prayed, what church you attended, and what you did. If these things are not evident in our lives, John says, you're a liar, you don't know the truth, you're not practicing the truth. He'll give us a third test later on. We'll talk about this morning. It's a doctrinal test about the sun. We'll see that soon enough. Now, in verse number 12, he directs his thoughts now to those in the family of God who love him, love each other, keep his commandments, and are abiding in light. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. This small portion of scripture, these three verses, are beautifully structured, they're poetic, and you would think that it's just straightforward. 
And I thought the same thing until I started studying, and I asked myself several questions. What does John have in mind in these three verses? What do these categories mean? Little children, fathers, young men. Does the term children that he uses here, which he uses five other times in the book, chapter 2, verse 1, uh, 218, 318, 44, and 521, where that phrase means everyone he's talking to. When John uses the phrase little children, he is talking to the congregation, and I just asked, does it mean something different here? Why two subgroups of fathers and young men, and not to mention women? Is this their leadership structure? Is it their civic duty? And in what special way do fathers know him who is from the beginning that children and young men would not know? And in what special way have young men in his category overcome the wicked one? And so I started asking the questions, and I became more and more confused. There are many who believe that John is addressing them in terms of spiritual maturity, and this very well may be the case. My brother and sister in Christ this morning, I I hope you know this. If you know Christ, we are to grow up. To grow up. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, 14, be no longer children tossed to and fro. Hebrews 5, 13, uh, it says, for everyone who partakes only of the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe or a baby or a child. We had studied 1 Corinthians And we're all aware of what happens when immaturity in the Christian life collides with worldliness in a church. It's disastrous. It's a nightmare. And church doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. And we saw that in Corinthian believers. We are to grow up. Grow up. This is both natural in our physical lives. We're all aware this morning, if a 15-year-old kid came in today with his thumb in his mouth, holding a bottle and wearing diapers, we, I think, would perceive that something was not right with that young man. Correct? We would know something's wrong. I'm looking at our teenage boys right now. Yes, so far, they've passed the test. But physically, we are to grow up. And it is necessary for the believer. Necessary. If you and I know that we know him, and we're commanded to grow, and if these things are stages of maturity, then the question is, are you growing up? It is incumbent upon each and every one of us, as we look at our life and what's been given to us, that our life should have a trajectory where we are literally growing, not just hearing the word, but doing the word. Some of us come every week, And we hear, and we hear, and we hear, and we don't do, we don't do, and we don't do. And we wonder why we are still immature in our faith. Some of us have been living years in Christ, and pride is still a terrible enemy of ours. And self-righteousness, and irritability, and anger, and pride, and lust, and greed. And I submit to you, my brother and sister... There should be some ground that we have been gaining over the years. We are to grow up. But notice, all of those who are addressed in our text this morning have been shaped by God. Every one of them. 
And I would submit to you this morning that certainly this is maturity, but there's more happening here. This is their state. This is who they are. He says, I write to you, little children, because you are forgiven. You have known the Father. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome. We live in a world where everyone wants to talk about their identity. Identity politics, identity crisis. But the truth is, God says to believers, we have an identity. This is who you are. This morning, brother and sister, you are forgiven. You have known him who is from the beginning. And we are overcomers. This is true of them, and it is true of us this morning. And I would say to you that when we understand these truths, and we see them for what they are, it is transformative in our life. It is powerful, and it can change us. So, let me just start with the first one, and we'll work our way through as far as we can go this morning. He says in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now listen, it's imperative that we get this. He did not say, um, your sins are forgiven because you do the best you can, you follow the golden rule, you try to be kind to everyone, you pay your taxes, you are a good citizen. He didn't say that. He didn't say that's why we're forgiven. That's how we found forgiveness. He does not say that it's by works of righteousness which you have done. It's, not, it's according to mercy. And he does not say because of your religious activity you have been forgiven. That's not how forgiveness is bestowed. Ever. Ever. Some of us this morning, we are very religious. And we have a lot of religious activities but there is nothing happening in our lives because we've not been forgiven. It's like being in a rocking chair, lots of activity. You're not moving anywhere, anywhere. He says, no, that's not the case. We have been forgiven for his namesake. Pastor Dan read earlier Ephesians 5, and Ephesians 5 reminds us of who we were. Listen again. We were separated. We were alienated from the people of God. We were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is who all of us were and what the world is without being forgiven for Christ's sake. I love the hymn. We'll sing it in just a moment. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. This is what it means to be forgiven. Now, because of Christ, we are brought near. We are reconciled to, to God. We have peace, a new creation. We have access 
in one spirit to the Father. We are no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God. We have been forgiven. No guilt in life, no fear in death, forgiven. Forgiven. This is what humanity craves. Because sin and the guilt of sin is heavy. So we have been forgiven. But there's other implications with that as well. Because he says, you're forgiven. And he says, you know him as father. As father. Not a God who we fear now under his just wrath. But we find favor in his sight. We have been brought near by Jesus Christ. We have been restored with a right relationship. We are part of the family of God. This morning, brother and sister in Christ, if you know him. And listen, if, if you don't know him this morning, don't complicate this. It, it's not, the Bible says, repent. Repent. It means, I used to think that my religion was all I needed. I used to think I was a good guy or girl. I used to think I was doing well and the good without outweigh the bad. But now I know that Christ paid it all. I repent which means I changed my mind, I changed my direction, and now I trust fully in Christ. That's salvation. Salvation. But now that we've been forgiven for his sake, now we know the Father. And knowing the Father changes everything. It changes everything. It changes how I view myself. Everyone here this morning, we have a past. Every one of us. And some of it, it's more recent, right? But when I understand that I've been forgiven and that God is now my Father and I've been washed clean and free, I am not captive to my past. Believer, you are forgiven, which means we are free from the past. We can't change that, but what God does is he changes the meaning of it and gives it purpose and direction and he uses it to bless and encourage other people. I no longer today have to seek value, worth, and belonging from measuring up to other people. Some of you folks, you gauge your existence by how many likes you have on Facebook. That's a really bad idea. Because that goes up and down all over the place. I don't find my value and worth in that. I have a heavenly father, not by what I've achieved or what I've done or who I am or who knows my name. Those things ought to mean nothing for us because the only person in the universe that it matters that they know your name is the greatest person in the universe, the God of heaven. And here's what he says about his people. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I know you by name. You are mine. Can you see this morning how this truth will transform our lives? I am no longer in the bondage and the rat race of trying to find my acceptance from somebody or something. I have found my acceptance, my love, my belonging in the person of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. So it changes how I view myself, and it changes, and it must change, how I view others. This morning, if you know Christ, you are forgiven, which means we must, we must forgive others. I know some of you hate that. We must 
forgive others. And let me just say to you, and I'm talking to believers, I'm not talking about this being easy or instant or not difficult. If anyone's ever hurt you or your family or someone you love or said something unkind or cruel or mean or physically abused you, right? We're foolish to think, oh, yeah, forgive. But, but that's not what we're talking about. When people hurt us and we hold on to that, I'm telling you something. It does something bad in our hearts and our lives. Bitterness, anger, resentment. And you listen to me. I've seen it happen over and over again. When you hold on to that hurt, it never destroys the person that you hate. It always destroys you. And it, it marks you and it dies you to your soul. One writer said, I don't know why it is that we surrender our tomorrows to the unfair pain of yesterday. Let me say it again. We surrender our tomorrows to the unfair pain of yesterday. And some of us, we've been doing that for a long time. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm really quick this morning. But when we talk about forgiveness and letting things go, here's what I'm not saying. And this not, the Bible doesn't say this either. Because there's a ton of misunderstanding. Forgiveness for the believer is not excusing someone's sin. It is not a a reunion or restoring of relationships always. Sometimes that's dangerous, and sometimes it can't be done because they're dead. It is not obligation to go back into a situation. That's not what we're talking about. Nor is it forgetting. Oh, just forgive and forget. Really? Now listen, at my age, I forget why I went into the kitchen. I always assume it's food. And I'm, whether it was or not, I'm always right with that assumption. But in my life, I can remember what my uncle said to me when I was seven years old. And you can too. Not my uncle, but your uncle. Yes? You, but forgiving doesn't mean I just magically forget what's happening in my life. It doesn't mean surrendering our right to justice. People need to be held accountable for crimes that they commit. Nor does it mean inviting hurt into our lives again. It doesn't. It means to let it go. And not to allow that anger, that bitterness, that hatred, the unfairness, the unfairness of this life. To let it go. And if not, it will destroy us. It will destroy us. We are forgiven people. That's who we are. And as forgiven people, I'm telling you, the only way out of that hole is to forgive. And you know why we do it? It's not just because, oh, yeah, yeah. Because forgive for Christ's sake, as God has forgiven you. My brother and sister, I know we don't think like this, but we ought to. You and I have sinned against God more than anyone will ever sin against us. You've done it this morning. I'm sure. I've done it this morning. We do this daily. And over the thousand times, thousands times, thousands of times, we have ignored, rejected, blasphemed, blushed, afraid to speak his name, and entertained thoughts, activities that we know were direct sins against him. And yet, our forgiveness is complete. Past, present, future. It is clean when we confess. And so, 
as forgiven people, if we want to hold on to these things, what Jesus says is, if you can't forgive your brother, read Matthew 18. It's terrifying. The unjust, the guy who has his debt forgiven, a zillion dollars, then he finds a servant who has, owes him 20 bucks, he grabs him by the neck, and he says, you're going to prison, not forgetting what was forgiven to him. The whole idea of that parable is this. You and I have been forgiven much. We were running to hell, and rightly so. And left to ourselves, that's where we'd be. But by the love of Jesus Christ, he stepped in and he absorbed all of my sin and all of your sin. And therefore, if I understand I have been forgiven, I must forgive others. And again, some of you right now, you are really struggling because you're thinking, I can't do that. I am not saying this is instant, but this should be where we're headed. In his great book about the art of forgiveness, Lewis Smeads gives... Three stages of forgiveness. I'm going to give this to you, and I will, I will stop with this quickly. We must understand who we are in Christ, and I'm assuming you know the gospel. But then we rediscover the humanity of a person. We rediscover the humanity of the person. When someone sins against us, they become the wrong. He's a liar. She's a cheater. They're a thief. Right? And in our mind, we play this over. And what we've done is, like we talked a couple weeks ago, we have forgotten about humanity. We have identified them as their crime, and that's what they are. There's a problem with that. We never do that to ourselves. Even when we know who we are. Yes? We find a way to excuse ourselves, and we love grace. I'm only human, God, you know. But them! And I submit to you, when we start to let this go and realize what Christ has done for us and how this is destroying us, we begin to rediscover the humanity of a person. That individual is broken, sinful, um, wicked, perhaps, just like us. Just like me. Fallen humanity. Number two, we surrender our right to get even. Do you know what we want naturally? We want revenge. If you hurt me, then I am going to hurt you. Um, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to get one up on you. Right? And again, I'm not talking about justice. Justice is a moral accounting. People have to give an answer for what they've done morally. I'm talking about vengeance, which is personal. God, I, you don't know what's happening. I will be the sword. I will make sure. And, and you might not have the means to do it, but every time you open your mouth, every time you have an opportunity, you're going to make sure that everybody knows that this scum of the earth did this to me. And they need to pay for it. They need to pay. Be careful. Be careful. They deserve to get this. Okay. And what do you deserve? What do I deserve? We must surrender our right to get even. Some of you folks, you've been living your life thinking about the perfect opportunity and the perfect words to get get back with somebody. That, That is consuming and corrupting. And people see it. And then finally, we revise our feelings. And again, I'm not so naive to think that you're going to leave here and your feelings will be revised. But instead of sheer hatred, 
the healing begins. Healing begins. I've been in this church for over 21 years. I've been in ministry for over 30 years now. I'm an old, old man, okay? And I feel it. And you better believe, in 21 years here, people have hurt me. I make people a promise. Every time we, we interview people, I say this. I promise if you stay here long enough, I will hurt you. I don't mean to. I don't want to. But I say the dumbest things sometimes. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I, I don't say half of what I think. And I'm serious. And I will, I will hurt you. I don't want to. And I've been hurt. We had a situation years and years ago. Someone said something about me that was just, it was wicked. It wasn't true. Um, it was terrible. And I have to be honest with you, like for, for months afterwards, every time I thought of them or drove by their house, I really, really struggled. I, I couldn't think of anything kind or caring or nice. And my prayers were not, oh, God, bless them. Right? Like, oh, God, you know. And, and like, the guy's like, yeah, Rick, I know. Hey, yeah. And then finally it dawned on me, this was killing me and killing my spiritual life and killing my free. I was in bondage to this. And I had to be reminded of my true identity. I am forgiven. I am free. And I don't have to be brought back into that bondage, nor do you. And so my brother and sister this morning, I'll close with this. There came a time in my life when honestly... Um, I remember for the first time after going through this process, I prayed for their well-being. And it was so liberating. No more malice, no more hate. I put them in God's hand. I've even prayed for their children to be blessed and encouraged. It changed me. And I want to tell you something. While that was going on in my life, do you know how much sleep they lost? None. They lost none at all. Revenge is like a hot coal in your hand. You're going to hurt somebody, right? You're going to throw it at them. Pick up a hot coal and see how that works for you. It's a bad idea. You're the only one that's burned. And so John is writing, certainly this morning, if you need to grow up, we all do, grow up. But I would encourage you this morning, understand your identity. We are forgiven. The forgiveness is complete. And because we've been reconciled through Christ to the Father, he's my Father. He's my Father. What more? Could I ask for? What more would I have to do? I am already the son of a king. You are a daughter of the king. And we should rejoice. And that thought should be with us today and tomorrow and next week. And I promise you, as a forgiven person, thinking about your father, it will transform our lives. And that's what we want. That's what I want. And I pray you want it as well. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for what we've experienced the baptism. Lord, how sweet. Thank you for the obedience of your people, the identifying with you. Thank you for the songs we have sung in this gathering this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have an identity now. It's not in my past or what I've done or my brokenness. I am loved by the Father. I've been forgiven for Christ's sake. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's been counting on their religion, they've been counting on their goodness, that they don't know you, that today would be the day. If there's someone listening, they don't understand repentance, that they would receive you today and turn and just rest in Jesus. Help us now as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard, 
or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.